Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Anything that's going to give you really bad side effects, maybe your arm is going to be sore for a couple of days. Uh, so it's kind of plus minus if you want to, to get it or not. All right. Dr. Adalja, it's that sort of nuance is the reason we wanted you on. Appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for having me. And that does it for us tonight. Banfield starts now. It's Tuesday, and I'm back. <laughs> Barely. Um, thank you for being so patient with me having COVID and being in a dark cave tunnel cloud somewhere off in zero land. I have had the worst week, but I'm here, and I'm really glad that I'm here tonight because it's a serious night um, in crime. And uh, at, when I say that, I mean it, there's an active breaking manhunt happening right now. So I am, I am very glad to be able to bring you this story right off the top of the show. Bear with me as I get through with this terrible voice. But um, this is in Baltimore. There is a search that's going on right now for a savage killer of a young female tech entrepreneur. And the police are giving out a really, really scary warning tonight. They say he will kill and he will rape. You got my attention. The reason they're saying this is because they found a victim named Pava Lepere. She was just 26 years old. She's a superstar in the tech field. Uh, she was named like one of Forbes 30 under 30. And she was killed inside her really nice apartment. Uh, so now they have the name of the guy they say did it. The guy they say murdered her. They have this picture they're releasing. Uh, they say they need your help. This is from the Baltimore Police Department. And there is a rap sheet on this guy that it, it'll just curl your hair, honestly. So I'm going to give you a bunch of details on this in just a moment, but it is an active manhunt, and I've got a U.S. Marshal joining me as well as police, former police commissioner. We're going to really break open how on earth this happened in this extraordinarily fancy apartment, etc. Then I'm also going to bring you the story <clears throat> of a major break uh, in two Kansas City cases that have been cold for a quarter century. That is a long time to have a cold case sitting on the, the rack, right? But the investigators now say that they've got DNA proof that both of the murders they're looking at were committed by the same guy. And it's a guy whose occupation made him uniquely difficult to pin down. Long haul trucker. Is this long haul trucker a serial killer and is two just the tip of the iceberg. Are there more victims out there? We're going to break down that story for you, tell you what they found, how they finally found all of this out 25 years later, especially since, <laughs> spoiler alert, they had DNA from him a long time ago. Okay, then also, um, I have got the latest 
on that sickening murder of that innocent Las Vegas cyclist, the former police chief who was out for a morning bike ride, two laughing teenagers intentionally slamming a stolen car into him. Today, both of them were in what is called very adult court, not kitty court, not juvie, where they apparently expected to be. They were in adult court facing a very adult judge with a very adult prosecutor on one side and hopefully a really good adult defense attorney at their side because they have been formally charged with murder, grown-up murder. And this time, no one was laughing the way they laughed in that car on that tape. Okay, I'm going to get to the breaking news uh, right away um, off the top here. So there's this urgent manhunt uh, happening right now, Baltimore area. It's for a registered sex offender. He is now a murder suspect. He is a dangerous fugitive. They say he murdered this young tech executive in her own apartment in a pretty Tony neighborhood in Baltimore, too. Um, they found 26-year-old Pava LaPere just yesterday morning. This is her. Uh, very smart young lady. Started her first company in college. Grew it to this massive business now, multi-million dollar business. They found her in her home. They say she was killed by blunt force trauma. She'd been beaten to death. You may recognize her name if you're plugged into the high-tech data management world. Pava LaPere co-founded the company Ecomap Technologies. You can Google it. It is a big deal. She was named the top 30 under 30 by Forbes magazine for her company's social impact. Uh, here is Baltimore's acting police commissioner, Richard Worley, today. Today, in consultation with the state's attorney's office, 32-year-old Jason Dean Billingsley of Baltimore it was wanted for first-degree murder, assault, reckless endangerment, as well as additional charges. Our special investigation section and homicide unit have been working aggressively to identify the suspect responsible for this tragic incident. Our Warrant Apprehension Task Force, alongside the U.S. Marshals Capital Area Fugitive Task Force, is actively working to apprehend Billingsley. At this time, we believe and we know he probably is armed and dangerous. We ask anyone who may have seen him or knows him or knows his whereabouts to contact police immediately by calling 911. We implore residents to be aware of your surroundings at all times. This individual will kill and he will rape. He will do anything he can um, to cause harm. So please be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of your surroundings because of this man, Jason Dean Billingsley, 32 years old from Baltimore. You heard them. He's a registered sex offender who spent time in prison for assault and for sex crimes and recently paroled. So here's the background. He was arrested back in 09. He was also arrested in 2011. Again, he was arrested in 2013, charged with multiple crimes, including sex offenses, assault, and robbery. Billingsley pleaded guilty to sex crimes back in 2015, sentenced to 30 years, 30 years, back in 2016. It's only eight years ago. Problem was they suspended 16 years of that sentence, and he only served seven. So that means if you do the math, you can do them on just your two hands. He was released last October. 
They say he is Pavel Lepere's killer, and right now he is on the run. I want to bring in News Nation's senior national correspondent, Brian Enton. He's following the developments in Baltimore. It just, it just boils my blood when I hear about a guy who gets a 30-year sentence only eight years ago, and he's already out, and now the rest of us are in danger because he will kill and he will rape, according to the police. So what, what else do we know about the latest in the hunt, Brian? Yeah, it, it's really alarming. I mean, it doesn't get much scarier than this, Ashley, when they say that he will kill, he will rape, he is dangerous. Tonight, they are telling uh, people in that area to be on the lookout, to stay away from him uh, if you see him, but to call 911 right away. And it's because of that rap sheet. I mean, charged with sexual assault over and over again, uh, robbery. It goes on and on for the last uh, 20 years or so. Um, and uh, 6'4", 300 pounds, by the way. So he's a very, very big man. Wow. Yeah, big man. And uh, they, they Six, need the public four, to be on the look for him. Yeah. So how did they connect? I mean, she was only found yesterday um, by their reporting, right? The police said that they found Pavel Lepere in her apartment yesterday. That's a really quick connection to this uh this suspect. How do they know? What, what did they find? It's a good question. It came up several times at the press conference, uh, and they won't answer it right now. They say that that is part of the active investigation. Is it possibly DNA that they were able to quickly pinpoint? They probably have his DNA. I mean, he's been behind bars so many times. He's a registered sex offender. Could it possibly be surveillance video? It's interesting, though. The Daily Mail is reporting that he could be connected to a knife point sexual assault from last Tuesday. That's new tonight. Uh, so, so he really may have been up to no good uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks here, Ashley. A knife point sex assault on Tuesday. Yeah, um, Tuesday. So one week ago. So they, I've been trying to read between the lines on the reporting from the police, from what they released officially. They said the words, he will kill, he will rape, but they did not say the words that Pava was raped and killed. Do you know why they kept that quiet? Well, they're being very, very careful with all of those details. All that they will say is that she died of blunt force trauma. Beyond that, what exactly happened to her, we don't know. We also don't know exactly where this happened. I mean, the assumption is that it happened inside her apartment, but uh, there's also reporting uh, that they were looking at other parts of that building. She was living in the former Congress Hotel, a beautiful historic building uh, in Baltimore, sort of in an up-and-coming area. Uh, so we know it wasn't just the apartment where, where detectives were seen looking around, but they're being extremely tight-lipped about all of that. Uh, their main point right now, though, is just to make sure people are on uh, the lookout for this guy. Do we have any idea if they knew each other? No, we don't know, although they did say it appears that they uh, did not. Where she lived in that old historic hotel that was converted into these luxury apartments, again, sort of an up-and-coming but cool and trendy part of Baltimore, uh, we know that he Beautiful. lived there uh, at one point in that area. So it's possible he frequented wow. that area, but it doesn't appear they knew each other. I mean, she was the kind of person, from what we can gather, that was out in the community. She was successful. Uh, she had this great company, but she was the kind of person that went out and volunteered and wanted to help people people in sort of the up-and-coming areas of Baltimore. So perhaps they had some kind of contact, uh, but police say it doesn't appear they actually knew each other. You know, so sad. Her company has put out an announcement saying they're having a, a memorial for her tomorrow. Mm. It's just so incredibly senseless. She was going to do so much good in this world and clearly was just a standout from 
from the time she was in her college dorm building the company that she built into this successful $7 million corporation. Yeah. Brian Anton, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, just break in if you hear any more on this manhunt tonight. If you could stand by and just keep checking on the, the wire service and also your, your um, sources. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Ash. I want to bring in Jerry Rodriguez now. He's a retired police captain who was the deputy police commissioner in Baltimore. He knows the city of Baltimore like the back of his hand. So can I ask you, Commissioner, um, this part of Baltimore, you, you heard Brian describe this luxury apartment, but at the same time, this criminal uh, lived in this area. Can you give me an idea, a sense for what this, this neighborhood is like? I think he, he did a very good job. Uh, first of all, hello, and thank you for having me on. Uh, my heart goes out for the victim and her family. Uh, this is so tragic. Um, it, it is a very up-and-coming, trending, beautiful neighborhood. Uh, it is unfortunate that these neighborhoods, up-and-coming and beautiful such as this, are victimized by predators such as this. And that's what he is. He is a predator. Uh, I agree with the mayor of Baltimore who said he should not have been out. I know the mayor and I know the commissioner and I trust and I know that they are working very diligently to bring this individual into custody. And while we still have a lot of questions, I will say this as a former deputy police commissioner of Baltimore, our goal now is to really fight the urge to get as much information as we are starved for with the understanding that we must allow the investigative process to take place and understand that there are things that they can't share with us. There's a reason. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I always understand there's a reason. Um, but there's also a, a terror. Uh, you know, there's a, a rapist and a murderer running amongst us. And for women, you know, that is just uh, earth-shattering news if you live anywhere within a few hundred miles of that place. Then, so to that point, the, the police mentioned there's a task force that's been formed. I wanted to ask you, what does that mean, practically speaking? Like, what does it mean in terms of resources, people? You know, what, what do they do with a task force? in an urban setting? We uh, will bring in additional resources from the federal government, U.S. Marshals, uh, the FBI, if we need to, along with our local resources, and we will hunt this individual based on the information that we know. Uh, it's difficult to know if he has any electronic devices, but we will use those to try to locate. We will go back in history and try to identify where he frequents, uh, where his family, friends, where he would tend to go. And we will work diligently to uncover all of that. They clearly have a lot of information. And you're very right. This is very dangerous. And that that warning that they put out is unusual uh, and it's concerning. And we need to take heart. This individual is a predator and dangerous, as we were advised. You know, that I'm glad you said that because I have not heard someone say in such stark terms, he will kill, he will rape. And at the same time, they are not saying that Pavel LaPere was raped. But I'm, I'm reading between the lines. This is a sexual predator. They found him within 24 hours. At least they found his identity within 24 hours. And they are warning the rest of us about a rapist on the loose. Am I, you know, should, should I be not reading into this? I think you're absolutely right. I think the reasons they can't definitively say is for investigative reasons. But I think the best way to judge what may have happened is look at his history. And he is a registered yeah. sex offender who is violent. 
Is he ever? One last question. He's only out of prison uh, just, I mean, not even a year, right? Does that mean he had enough time to set up a nice criminal network who will hide him and harbor him and help him as we try to hunt him? Unfortunately, uh, while we have a lot of great people in Baltimore, we, this individual grew up there, lived there, uh, did prior crimes there. So it is not unreasonable to believe that he will be uh, known to a lot of people that could work in our favor. I will say this. The public and even individuals who have committed crime in the past do not like rapists because we all, whether you're in law enforcement or you've been in prison before, we have sisters, mothers, wives, and no one likes an individual like this uh, to be a predator in our communities. And I'm hoping are on the loose and hoping that they will turn him in. Former Baltimore Deputy Police Commissioner Jerry Rodriguez, thank you so much for being on tonight. We will um, tap you for further insight as this story develops. Thank you. Thank you. The U.S. Marshals have been brought in to hunt down Jason Dean Billingsley. So I want to bring in John Muffler right now. He is a retired U.S. Marshal, knows a lot of the guys who are out there doing this work regularly. Um, yeah, I got to ask you about this. You know, this is a, this is a city. You and I spent a lot of time on the air talking about Danilo Cavalcante in the woods. This is a very different kind of search where you don't necessarily, you know, use thermal imaging and dogs. How do you search for someone like this if you're the U.S. Marshals and you're called in? Well, thanks again for having me on. The deputy commissioner from Baltimore um, really hit the nail on the head with his points. Very salient and true. Um, They're going to look at the known associates. Um, He has a criminal history there. They're going to know what that criminal history is and who his associates are and were, and they're going to be looking at those individuals and those locations and tying loose ends and seeing what they know and, and, and working those angles, those investigative leads to pinpoint where he may be now. And if he has a phone or some sort of electronic device that he's communicating with or associated with him, then that's awesome. That makes it a little easier for the marshal. So how... And and the fact that he, you know, he just was in the can for the last seven plus years, right? And he got out within the year. How much do you guys go back to the communications he had on the inside to determine who he's talking to on the outside and who might be helping him on the outside? Yeah, well, those intake forms and all those calls that are making that, you know, he's had on the inside. Um, that's information that'll be it'll be retrieved pretty le- easily from the marshals and the, the task force looking at that, that information and and going to those neighborhoods and going to those contacts and, and, and hammering this down. Again, this is someone who, you know, this happened just recently, this, this, this murder. And then there was the assault that your reporter talked about, which I can confirm also. I've heard the same information about the more recent or one on Tuesday sexual assault. So he, he is a very violent individual, hence that warning from the Baltimore PD today about not just his past, but what he conceivably can do. Um, you know, tomorrow, tonight. Yeah, six, six four, 300 pounds. Uh, that is not a small guy. Again, not so easy to hide. Daniel Cavalcante was easier to find at five feet. But six four, 300 is not, uh, is not super easy to hide. I am curious, though, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. The charge of reckless endangerment. That one kind of threw me. They're looking for a sex offender, a, a, who they say is a murderer, but then they throw in reckless endangerment. Does that give you any clues if you're looking for him, what that means? 
for me, not really as an investigator. He's a bad guy, and that's all I need to know. Um, the reckless endangerment part probably comes from just, you know, a uh, you know, prosecutor maybe adding on just to have as much going against him when it comes to the courtroom time. But for me as an investigator, I know this is a bad guy, and, uh, you know, that is helpful, but I already know he's, he's, he's done some very bad things in his life, and that's, that's top of my mind. And he's a big guy at that, so um, there is that. We're going to continue uh, just tracking this tonight, John, and we'll call you up just as soon as we hear anything. And if you hear anything from your contacts in the field, please just break in. Appreciate this. Will do. Take care. John Muffler joining us once again, uh, former U.S. Marshal, knows a lot about this business. All right, we're going to continue watching this story. Like I said, it's breaking news. We're going to break in just as soon as we get any more details about the hunt for Jason Billingsley. Still to come, though, he had the kind of job that makes serial killing easy. Out on the open road for days, sometimes weeks at a time, rolling in the big rig in the dark of night. And when victims popped up in faraway places, it didn't seem possible that they were the work of the very same killer. Until now, even though it's been a quarter century since the murders. After the break, the story of the trucker, the cold cases that broke wide open, and what police found that brought all those dark and lonely trips together. We're live in Kansas City with the police chief next. If you are hell-bent on committing a serious crime, say murder, it certainly helps if you have an escape plan. And what better escape plan than your job? If you can be... 500 miles away before the crime is even discovered? Well, that's a win, right? Huge advantage. Huge head start over police. And that is one reason that long-haul truckers sometimes, and I repeat, sometimes, turn out to be serial killers. The FBI even has a database called the Highway Serial Killings Initiative. And that brings me to Kansas City, Kansas where authorities have now charged a man named Gary Dion Davis. There he is, 52 years old. Uh, they say he's the guy behind two cold cases, two murders dating back into the 90s. Davis was a truck driver in 1996 when a woman named Pearl Barnes was discovered dead inside a vacant home. Somebody had stabbed her to death in there. Pearl was also known by another name, uh, Samima Musawir. And then in 1998... A woman named Christina King, she was discovered inside an abandoned building. She'd been beaten to death and she'd just been left there. Police decided recently to crack those cases open again and retest some of the DNA evidence from both of those scenes. And wouldn't you know it, it led them right to the truck driver from the 90s, Gary Davis. But they don't think that he stopped with Pearl and Christina. They say Gary Davis, quote likely is tied to other unsolved female homicides in Kansas City, Kansas, and throughout the region. And the police department there has been busy. They opened a cold case squad just last year, and already they've identified suspects in 11 different cases. I'm joined now by the chief, Carl Oakman, of the Kansas City Police Department. Chief, thank you so much for uh, being with me. Gary Dion Davis, I I'm just perplexed by these killings. They were these two women who he's been charged with killing 
uh, were murdered differently. One was stabbed, one was beaten. Were there any similarities between the two killings, either in how they were found, how their bodies were positioned, any other evidence that's, that links them? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, yes, um, one, when you talked about um, one, they both were found, one was found in, abandoned, in an abandoned house, the other was behind an abandoned house. Um, and some of the other evidence that we really can't get into until, because we're still investigating, like I said, we believe there's several other uh, cases. Uh, interesting how this all came about. Um, the first victim was killed in 1996, uh, and then the second in 1998. Uh, we, did D we did DNA and sent it to the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. There was no matches. Interesting enough, in 2001, Gary Davis was arrested for burglary and domestic violence and was convicted, which required him to give a DNA sample. Uh, so we got a hit in 2005 on one of the cases and brought Mr. Davis in, but didn't really have a lot to go on. And then as the Code Case Squad took a fresh look at these cases, we sent the DNA back to get analyzed on the second victim, and there was a match. So uh, there was a little more than just a coincidence of you having DNA on that one uh, individual. Um, so we believe that uh, Mr. Davis was pretty busy in the 90s, and uh, we, based on his trucking route, we believe there may be more victims. I'm going to get to that in a minute because that is fascinating. But I want to go back to that, that burglary in 2001. Um, it was Christina King's murder. That was that that was linked with that DNA from the burglary in 2003. I'm fascinated by how that couldn't have been enough, uh, unless he had any other reason to know Christina King or have been in that vicinity where she was found. I would think that's a slam dunk on its own. His DNA on her body. Uh, why wasn't it enough back then? Well, uh, um, unfortunately, none of the detectives that worked or are still uh, on the police department, but um, the DNA has, there's been a lot of advances on markers and the number of identifiers, um, so that when we went back and tested both, uh, we got a better connection, and then we were able to fill in some gaps from the first homicide with the second. Well, let's hope this is, uh, you know, second time's the, the, the charm, but let's talk about the other the other victims, it looks like, if I read right, you're testing on two other cases as well, uh, potentially connected to, to this, um, this suspect, Gary Dion Davis. Give me an idea as to why you think he might be a serial killer in addition to the two victims that he's been charged with. Well, like the other two, uh, we, we don't have any kind of connection as far as why he would have been with um, those two women. And the same MO, the way we found the women, uh, the way the DNA was left, uh, and the proximity and the time period. Um, so we, we believe that he possibly be, could be connected to these two cases, um, as well as we're starting to go through his route um, from what we, based on the investigation, 
uh, he drove from Kansas City to Denver quite often. So are you in communication with Denver authorities and all the points in between to find out if they've got unsolved yes, cold cases we, we that you can test? In, yes, we started in Kansas City and working our way west. Wow. You're going to have to keep me posted on this. When do you think you might have some information and some details and results that, that could point to yet more charges and more victims? Well, hopefully we're, we're waiting on the Kansas Bureau of Investigation uh, to process that evidence. We've put a rush on it. So uh, hopefully uh, in the next month or two, it just depends on their backlog. But uh, we're pretty optimistic we'll get it pretty quick. Well, I, I just heard you say you're pretty optimistic you're going to get it quick and your signal's getting a little uh, sketchy. But Chief Carl Oakman, thank you so much for getting us up to speed on this. And will you join us again when you've been able to get some of those results in and let us know if indeed you've got the, the guy behind others, other serial killings? Yes, it would be my pledge. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Carl Oakman, Police Chief of Kansas City, Kansas, uh, on this incredible story of the trucker who just might be a long, unsolved serial killer. Okay, uh, still to come, hmm, you remember those two Las Vegas teenagers filming themselves in a stolen car, laughing as they rammed an innocent cyclist from behind, killing him? They reportedly thought they were just going to get a slap on the wrist, you know, juvie style. But from the looks of things in a very grown-up courtroom today, it just might be sinking in that life as they knew it is over. Wait until you see the hearing and if they're still laughing. That's next. Tonight, it is abundantly clear, maybe even to them, that two Vegas teenagers are going to have to face the consequences for running down an innocent Las Vegas cyclist in a stolen car. And when I say consequences, I don't mean the slap on the wrist that one of the teenagers uh, supposedly expected. No, I actually mean that 18-year-old Jesus Ayala and his pal, 16-year-old Yasmir Keys, were in big boy court today, where the sentences for that kind of crime can be life with no parole. That means life without getting out, unless you have a toe tag. That's what big boy court means. And it is likely that things just got especially real for Jesus Ayala, who reportedly thought that he might just get a slap on the wrist for that kind of murderous crime spree. But both appeared separately before an adult judge this morning, and they were formally charged with murder. No slap on the wrist there. They were also charged with a whole battery of other felonies, DA says for intentionally running down Andy Probst, a retired police chief who was just out for an early morning bike ride. Just listen to the list of charges that these teenagers are facing. Calling Jesus Ayala, 23CR, 072445. Morning again, sir. You're charged with murder with use of deadly weapon. Battery with use of deadly weapon. Attempt murder with use of deadly weapon. Duty to stop a scene of crash involving death or personal injury. Leaving the scene of a crash to understand what to touch with. Yeah. 
Yes, Your Honor, how polite. It's a good time to be polite. Laughing in this sense, definitely not a good idea. Laughing when you murder someone is a terrible idea. Ayala, the one with the tattoo on the face, the alleged driver, invoked his right to a speedy preliminary hearing. Keys, the one we could see from behind right there, the one who recorded it on his phone and then thought it was a great idea to share the snuff film at school, he decided to waive that right for now. Uh, both of them are going to remain in custody until there's a bail hearing that is set, but hear this, everybody. The Clark County DA says that they should not get their hopes up for any bail ever. They also say they want to consolidate the cases and try these two together. So to help us understand what all of this means and what could actually happen here, I want to bring in Judge Mary Claire Akers of the 13th Circuit in West Virginia. You may recognize her from the 2016 docuseries The Killing Season on A&E. Judge, thank you so much for being here. I just want to ask right off the bat, you got a 16-year-old and a just-turned 18-year-old. What are the chances that they will get no bail? I can't really speak to what, what whether they will or won't. I, what I can tell you is that there will be a lot of different factors that the judge will look at with each individual uh, juvenile. The first uh, juvenile, I believe, was 17 at the time of the crime and has turned 18 since. So that may be a factor that the judge considers. Uh, the other juvenile is 16. Lots of things will be considered by the judge, like um, the, the seriousness of the crime, the ties that they have to their community, any kind of history that they have. Uh, criminally or otherwise, and it'll be solely up to the judge whether they get bond or not. So let's talk about a little bit of the background on these kids. And again, we wouldn't know it unless they were charged as adults, but at least uh, Jesus Ayala has a record as long as your arm and then some. Uh, and I was curious about how it works when you have juvie records and an adult proceeding. Do they take into account the juvenile behavior leading up to this adult crime? I think that that is definitely going to be something that's up to the judge and, and up to Nevada state law as to whether or not the judge can, can consider that. Um, I, I know that that is something that's being discussed publicly. I'm just not sure whether or not that is something that the court can consider. So... The, trying them together, does it make any difference? I mean, to, I couldn't even understand why they would be tried separate in the first place. This is the same crime in the same car. They're charged with the same thing. It's one person's murder. Why, why a separation of these cases? And do you expect that they will likely be tried together? Would it make a difference? My understanding is that the two of them were arrested at different times, which resulted in them seeing different judges for their initial appearances. Uh, I think that whether or not they are tried together will be governed by, again, Nevada Joinder Law, uh, where the, the district attorney can elect to try all of the crimes that they believe occurred at the same time with the same types of facts together, and they can uh, decide to charge them together as co-defendants. At any time during this proceeding all the way up to trial, if their lawyers feel like one or, or both of them are prejudiced by this, they will move to sever and it'll be the court's determination whether or not they are prejudiced so much that they can't be tried together. Well, now I'm going to really test all your time on the bench. Um, you know, there was a weird thing that came out in the press today and I, I can't make sense of it. That's not saying a lot, but the, the DA was asked if the death penalty would be sought. I have always known the Supreme Court has said you cannot execute minors and you can't automatically sentence them to life without parole. Doesn't mean they can't get 
life, no parole. They just can't get automatic. But the answer was weird. Um, the DA said it's too early to make a determination on the death penalty. Does that mean because Jesus Ayala is now 18? Because the crime was committed when he was 17, which is still a minor. Can you sort that out for me? My understanding is the same as yours, Ashley, that if the, at the time of the crime, a person under the age of 18, the United States Supreme Court in 2005 was definitive that 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 that, that mm-hmm. person can be executed for that for that crime. And unless there is some nuance in Nevada state law that I don't know about, and, and that certainly could be the case. But I'm I agree with you on that. Uh, the the Supreme Court's been very clear that juveniles are not to be executed. In 2015, Nevada actually enacted legislation that bars um, life without parole for juveniles as well. So um, I, I'm not quite sure either. I saw that in reports, and I, I thought the same thing. Weird, weird. Uh, well, listen, we have so much more to learn about this case and about these. I hate to call them kids, but that's what they are. Uh, judge Mary Claire Akers, thank you. I always love the opportunity to talk to a judge, so thank you for this. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, hopefully it won't be the last time. Loved having you, and we'll look forward to our next visit. In the meantime, still ahead, I have a shocking tape uh, that shows a married state trooper assaulting his ex-girlfriend. Take a look. What is wrong with you? I don't need help. I need to get away from you. No. No. This is normal. No, it isn't normal, and it got worse from there. Um, this abuse actually went on for five more days. With the help of the state, find out how and where he locked her up and how the tables have completely turned. You're going to see it all next. You know, breakups can really bring out the worst in people, but that does not excuse what a Pennsylvania state trooper allegedly did to his girlfriend uh, while off duty, I might add, much of which was caught on camera. Take a look. Do anything wrong except disagree with you. Let me go. You can't just tackle me like that. someone and attack them and then call the cops on them and say you're gonna like uh-uh, that's not okay get off of me you just called the cops on me for existing what can i just get the hand out of my thing i can't go anywhere the cops are on the way anyway but i don't even know what i did please 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 come on what did I do? I did. This is not fair. Can I stand up, please? I can't breathe again. Okay, I just. I, Point. Can I stand here? Yes. Can I just stand and get my arms back? I can't relax. You just 
just called the cops on me for existing. I didn't like your group. Jesus, dude. Come on. What the f What? Why are you treating me like I'm a criminal? I didn't do what I said. So that was Trooper Ronald Davis, off-duty, according to the district attorney, uh, a married man with children, and that, of course, was not his wife. That was his girlfriend he'd just broken up with. DA says that he and the woman being assaulted had uh, just had a four-month affair. Uh, she was injured all over her body, her forehead, her torso, her backs, her arm, her back, her arms, her knees, and then this civilian recorded the entire thing. But the attack did not stop with the physical. This is where it gets nuts. The girlfriend was then hauled off to a psychiatric facility for five days. According to investigators Trooper Davis, somehow secured a committal order against her by showing text messages that were taken out of context to make it look like the woman was threatening to harm herself. But she wasn't. Tonight, however, things have completely flipped for the trooper. That's his mugshot. Tables have turned. He is the one locked up against his will. He's facing charges of strangulation, unlawful restraint, and false imprisonment, among other things. He is also suspended from the state police. I want to bring in Gigi McKelvey, host of Pretty Lies and Alibis, the podcast. So how, first of all, how was he able to have her committed uh, falsely for five days when she was physically injured and they could have easily done a quick investigation to see the text messages were taken out of context. Yeah, I mean, he used those con those texts out of context to get that order. He had the commitment papers in hand when this was filmed. So, I mean, she was a sitting duck at this point. Unfortunately, there was nothing that could be done. So, OK, he also said the words, apparently, I'll make you look crazy. That's who is the guy taping this? Like who taped this and how did the police eventually get their hands on the tape? Well, I haven't heard how they got their hand on the tape, but I'll tell you, I'm surprised we haven't heard charges for the camera guy because it's clear she is rational. She's saying, I'm not crazy. I need to get away from you. I mean, he's the one to me, Ashley, it seems like he is talking in a very soft, low voice. She's obviously louder. And I think that was deliberate to make her look crazy and him look calm. I think this guy's got crazy mad control issues. Probably not his first rodeo roughing up a woman. They're probably going to be looking back at a lot of his arrests to see if, if there was any excessive force. This guy's got a world of trouble headed his way, I'm sure. And I'm curious if his wife has experienced anything like this when they were together. Ah, that was a magic word, were. So we know the wife is not standing by uh, this man. Well, we haven't heard anything from the wife. I, I can't imagine if she didn't know about the affair that she would stay now that she knows it happened. Clearly, he was living there. So, I, you know, it's hard to tell the dynamics. Maybe they're separated. Maybe they're not. I'm just curious to see if there was a pattern of any kind of control or physical violence, as we saw in this video during that marriage. Yeah, and I don't think all of the uh, encounters actually on the videotape either because he's charged with strangulation as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see what his defense is. Uh, Gigi McKelvey, have to yeah, have you hi. back and we'll see what he says in court. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, but, you know, tapes don't lie and that looks pretty bad. It does look bad. Gigi, thank you for being on. Look forward to the next time. Yes, ma'am. All right, coming up next, uh, college kids have been known to pull off a few fast ones when it comes to breaking the news to their parents about, like, bad grades or worse, being booted out of school. 
But a young Ohio student uh, just took it to a whole new level. Wait until you hear what she did to her mother while mom was on the phone with the school being told that her kid was being kicked out. Let's just say she's not going to be needing that degree where she's going. Next. Next.